is Arnold Jameson here, your host of CV19 News, bringing you truly independent, uncensored, and unfiltered news in a world where free speech is being threatened in the digital world with online censorship from the Silicon Valley Big Brother Guardians of Truth. My friends call me AJ, which means you can too. We are bringing you the latest information on the COVID-19 crisis with interesting facts from some amazing and often banned on social media interviewees who are providing us with some incredible details on COVID-19. I would like to begin this message with a very wise quote from the famous writer Mark Twain. In religion and politics, people's beliefs and convictions are in almost every case gotten at secondhand and without examination from authorities who have not themselves examined the questions at issue, but have taken them at secondhand from other non-examiners whose opinions about them are not worth a brass farthing. There is also an ancient Roman maxim which states, for he who would be deceived, let him. Both are true words of wisdom. Now, a little about me. I have degrees in finance and economics and extensive backgrounds in chemistry, physics, financial planning, estate planning, constitutional and contract law, global politics, marketing, multimedia and business development. Five years ago I began predicting and warning people on Facebook that the next false flag event of the globalists would either be a nuclear attack on the USA blamed on Iran or North Korea, or a fake pandemic that would crash the world economy and usher in forced vaccinations which would result in millions of deaths and sterilizations around the world as part of a global depopulation agenda. This was based on my deep research on the 9-11 attacks, which led me to some chance discoveries that revealed a massive stockpiling of four-person-sized black vinyl coffin liners that were being stored in strategic locations throughout the United States, as if they were expecting a major disaster of some kind. I confirmed the existence of these stockpiles with some military contacts and learned further about hundreds of FEMA concentration camps being located throughout North America, with the largest one in Alaska that is capable of holding one million detainees. These camps, which have been fully staffed since then with no one in them, allegedly are home to industrial-sized crematorium ovens for mass body disposal and also to numerous guillotines that can be used for executions. I also learned of a military buildup of 1.2 billion rounds of armor-piercing ammunition. Based on these three chance discoveries, I predicted that the most likely scenario was a fake pandemic followed up with deadly vaccines that would cause the real pandemic necessitating extermination on a mass genocidal scale. Engineered food shortages, civil unrest and societal breakdown would result. For the past year I've been actively deepening my research having seen the stark reality of my predictions five years ago now coming to fruition. Now before you write me off as a conspiracy theorist, let me describe my level of research and I will let you judge for yourself. Since March 2020, I have invested well over 2,000 hours into studying the science, listening to world-renowned experts in virology, immunology, nanotechnology, biowarfare, genetic engineering, 
statistical analysis, medicine, PCR sampling, cancer research, and even numerology and occult messaging. I have read and cataloged hundreds of articles, downloaded and watched 500 plus videos, many of them two to five times, and have built a website that logically itemizes the key findings in several well laid out sections to help you find and research all the evidence you need to discover the truth for yourself. If you just review homepage one and two of the site, which may take you a couple weeks to fully comprehend, you will know the key research findings that took me months to acquire. Since this knowledge base is vast and growing daily, and I can't possibly teach it all in a weekly rally in Calgary in the 10 minutes I typically get, I'm now doing a weekly private interactive webinar that you can subscribe to as a non-member for only $15 to help support the effort. Site members get the session for only 10 bucks. I'm also partnering with www.freedomforcanada.com, that's a number four, to run that same event directly through their site where supporting members enjoy the sessions also for only $10 per webinar. There's a 50 person seat limit so make sure to register early for the next training each Thursday at 7 p.m. Calgary time. Each week is different and I welcome all viewers to ask questions in a live and interactive format. I will show you where to find that information on the site and how to research your questions on the internet. Before I really get started, I want to read some excerpts from a document titled 10 Basic Human Rights Standards for Law Enforcement Officials, which was prepared by Amnesty International in association with police officials and experts from different countries. They are based on the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, United Nations Law Enforcement, Criminal Justice, and Human Rights Standards. So here's the background. It is of great importance that police officers at all times fulfill the duty imposed on them by law by serving the community and protecting all persons against illegal acts consistent with the high degree of responsibility required by their profession. They must promote and protect human dignity and maintain and uphold the human rights of all persons. Everyone shares the responsibility to uphold the Universal Declaration of Human Rights in its entirety. Nevertheless, the Declaration contains a number of articles which are particularly relevant for law enforcement work. Article 3. Everyone has the right to life, liberty, and security of person. Forced medical interventions such as masks, sanitizers, social distancing, and quarantines all violate Article 3. Article 5. No one shall be subjected to torture or to cruel, inhuman, or degrading treatment or punishment. Likewise, for Article 5. Article 9. No one shall be subjected to arbitrary arrest and detention. Arresting someone for violating a health act, remember acts are not law, but rather they act with color of law, for edicts against gathering, not wearing a mask, attending a church service, and not distancing are a gross violation of human rights. Article 19. Everyone has the right to freedom of opinion and expression. This includes freedom of the press to report the news. We are all citizen reporters by the mere fact we have a recording device in our pockets and we state that we are the independent media. Police interference with the media is a serious human rights violation. In Article 20, everyone has the right to freedom of peaceful assembly and association. Limitations on gatherings by some health act or public officials edict are again violations of international law and the Universal Declaration on Human Rights. The term law enforcement officials includes all officers of the law, whether appointed or elected, who exercise police powers, especially the powers of arrest and detention. 
This should be given the widest possible interpretation and includes military and other security personnel as well as immigration officials where they exercise such powers. No law enforcement official may inflict, instigate, or tolerate any act of torture or other cruel, inhuman, or degrading treatment or punishment, nor may they invoke superior orders or exceptional circumstances such as a state of war or threat of war or political instability or other public emergency as a justification for such acts. All police officers and all other law enforcement personnel should be aware of their right and duty to disobey orders, the implementation of which might result in serious human rights violations. Since those violations are unlawful, police officers and others must not participate in them. The need to disobey an unlawful order should be seen as a duty, taking precedence over the normal duty to obey orders. The duty to disobey an unlawful order entails the right to disobey it. The world learned from the mistakes of Nazi Germany, and these laws are in place to honor that commitment to not let history repeat itself. Disclaimer. I want to state up front that I am a medical researcher, investigative reporter, and the editor-in-chief of an independent news channel called CV19 News. I am not a medical practitioner, I do not dispense medical advice, nor do I advise people what they should do. I do, however, report my research findings on my website, on social media, and on various video streaming platforms for others to study, research, and verify the facts for themselves. I encourage you to register as a member on that site, www.cv19news.ca, so you can be notified of each new article I post. Make sure to download the PDF article at the top of the page called Masks, Dangers, Agendas, and the Law, which summarizes everything I'm about to disclose today. I update it regularly, so keep coming back to it for the latest version and carry it with you to show people when appropriate. Subscribing to the newsletter is less critical because I rarely send out any email given my time constraints. So stay informed by becoming a member, and if you find this information valuable, please support my research and attendance at events by making a donation or choosing a monthly supporting membership for $5 a month or $500, whatever you can afford. We have a donation box at the front of most events to make a cash donation, and I appreciate all forms of support to help with the ongoing fight for your freedoms. Introduction. So now that we have the legal disclaimers out of the way, let's talk about magic shows. Everyone loves a good magic trick. I wonder what your favorite illusion is. One of my favorites was this one. In 1983, David Copperfield performed perhaps one of the greatest illusions of all time when he made the Statue of Liberty disappear in front of a live audience. It is now listed in the Guinness Book of World Records as the largest object ever to be disappeared in a magic show. He began the trick with the audience inside the enclosed studio and the statue clearly visible through a tall narrow opening at one end of the stage. Spotlights and a hovering helicopter added to the illusion, proving Miss Liberty was really there. He then raised the curtain to loud and dramatic music, did some typical magician stuff, then turned towards the curtain while it dropped to the ground leaving only the panning spotlights and the helicopter behind. To everyone's amazement, he then raised the curtain and after another minute, the curtain fell again and all was back as it was at the beginning of the act. I wonder if you can figure out how that was accomplished. Well, the secret lay in the fact that the entire enclosed stage with hundreds of real audience members was sitting on a gigantic rotating carousel. 
When the curtain was raised to conceal Miss Liberty from view, the stage slowly rotated to the right towards a vacant lot that had been staged to look like the Liberty platform, complete with lights and the hovering helicopter with a live TV broadcast of the empty scene. Of course, TV viewers didn't get to see the continuous view of the statue during its disappearance. When the curtain was raised for the second time, the stage was rotated back to the left to point once again at the original location of the statue, which of course never went anywhere. The loud music covered for the mechanical noise and the vibrations from the pivoting stage, and no one inside the box was the wiser when the curtain dropped for the last time to reveal the reappearance of the Statue of Liberty. Now, People love magic shows because they know that it's all an illusion and the fun is in figuring out how it was done. Once you understand that the COVID-19 pandemic event is a deception also, you won't be coerced into taking actions you wouldn't normally take without the underlying exploited motivation of fear. And the action that they want you to take in the near future is to line up for their COVID-19 vaccine. Since that is the agenda, we need to ask why. When asked about his statue of David and how he envisioned the sculpture from a block of marble, Michelangelo said that he knew that David was hiding inside the block and he simply needed to chip away at the extraneous bits until David's figure was revealed. Since 2015, stemming from extensive research I was doing on the 9-11 attacks, I've been predicting this staged pandemic event at least eight times on social media over the last five years. I saw the pandemic hiding in the marble and was ready to chip away at it right away when it all started in 2020. Getting to the truth about COVID-19 is much like that, but if you don't know that something is hiding behind the fog of information you are being told, or what the bigger picture is supposed to look like, then you will be subject to everyone else's vision of reality. But once you come to understand what the end game looks like, then you can begin chipping away at the extraneous bits of information which I call propaganda, and eventually the truth will be revealed. But this requires us to actively research things for ourselves and not merely trust in what others tell us just because they are in a powerful or influential position. We were told that the Statue of Liberty disappeared and we saw it with our own eyes. But we knew it was a magic show and that there must be a trick to it. But what if you didn't know it was a trick? How would you react to such a scene? Hosea 4.6 reads, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Just as with God's people, we must therefore pay heed to all forms of deception at all times, lest we too perish. Those in government and media always have underlying agendas and conflicts of interest. Governments aim to control and manipulate the masses for their collectivist agendas. Mainstream media strives to maximize advertising revenue by selling stories and narratives that attract both advertisers and readers simultaneously. It is estimated that 70% of mainstream media funding comes from big pharma and governments, like it did to the CBC, which received $600 million from Trudeau prior to the last election. All messaging from the mainstream media is thus automatically geared to be favorable to the dual agendas of profit and or control. 1 Corinthians 15.33 warns us, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Mainstream media provides the extraneous bits of information that cloud your thinking, stop two-way communications, and discredit narratives that are contrary to the self-serving official narratives. Tyranny always exploits the media to further its agenda by feeding propaganda to the public. The Nazi party was famous for its propaganda and the mantra, tell a lie big enough, loud enough, and often enough, eventually it will be believed. The climate change hoax and COVID-19 are two of the biggest such hoaxes the world has ever seen, 
and they are actually connected in some key ways through Agenda 2030. After the JFK assassination in 1962, intelligence agents were embedded into the media in top-level positions such as the news anchors in order to control the messaging that went out about the Warren Report, which was so utterly ridiculous in its conclusions that most people didn't believe it. Operation Mockingbird was the counterintelligence narrative designed to use the new medium of television to discredit critics of the report, which they labeled as wild conspiracy theorists who were asserting that the assassination was an inside job, versus the official narrative of the lone gunman theory. So the derogatory term conspiracy theorist was invented by the CIA, but what does that really mean anyway? Well, a conspiracy is defined as a plan between two or more people to engage in a criminal enterprise. The theory is a hypothesis about how something happened. So a conspiracy theory is merely a hypothesis about how a crime was committed, by whom it was committed, and for what purpose. By weighing the evidence and testing the hypothesis, one can determine whether the theory can be called fact. This is what happens daily in courtrooms all around the world. The prosecution presents its theory and the defense responds to cast doubt on the theory. The judge weighs the evidence and decides on the balance of probabilities whether the argument is just a theory or if it is fact. In a perfect and uncorrupted world, this is the way the legal system is supposed to work. But we don't live in a perfect world, do we? Does anyone recall the 1939 radio broadcast by H.G. Wells called The War of the Worlds? The War of the Worlds was an episode of the American radio drama series called The Mercury Theatre on the Air, directed and narrated by Orson Welles. It was performed and broadcast live as a Halloween episode at 8 p.m. on Sunday, October 30, 1938, over this Columbia Broadcasting System radio network. The one-hour program began with the theme music for the Mercury Theatre on the air and an announcement that the evening show was an adaptation of The War of the Worlds. Orson Welles then read a prologue which was closely based on the opening of H.G. Wells' novel, modified slightly to move the story's setting to 1939. For about the next 20 minutes, the broadcast was presented as a typical evening of radio programming, being interrupted by a series of news bulletins, much like we saw at the beginning of the COVID crisis in January 2020. The first few news flashes occur during a presentation of live music and describe a series of odd explosions observed on Mars, followed by a seemingly unrelated report of an unusual object falling on a farm in Grover's Mill, New Jersey. The musical program returns briefly before being interrupted by a live report where police officers and a crowd of curious onlookers have surrounded the strange cylindrical object that fell from the sky. The situation escalates when Martians emerge from the cylinder and attack using a heat ray, which the panicked reporter at the scene describes until his audio feed abruptly goes dead. This is followed by a rapid series of increasingly alarming news updates detailing a devastating alien invasion taking place around the country and the futile efforts of the U.S. military to stop it. Now, of course, for anyone who tuned into the radio show at the beginning, they knew it was a dramatic telling of the novel and not to be taken seriously. But for many thousands around the country who tuned in late and didn't know the true nature of the show, they believed that they were really being invaded by Martians. The episode became famous for causing panic amongst its listening audience. People reacted with irrational fear and panic without checking out the facts for themselves. Reports of looting, adultery, suicides and despair were talked about for weeks as numerous stories emerged describing how different people responded to the fake crisis that never was. The lesson that was learned from the event is that the populations can be easily manipulated by the media, either accidentally or deliberately, 
especially when the element of fear is used. After 10 months of deep investigative reporting and nearly a decade of research into the long-term goals of the New World Order, I now firmly believe that this COVID-19 crisis is another such War of the Worlds mass media-induced fear propaganda event that was entirely pre-planned, manufactured, and is being used to usher in several diabolical and world-altering agendas, which I will reveal here today. To do so, we must use the scientific method, which states that we must start with a hypothesis, gather evidence, and test the hypothesis, and then try to discredit the hypothesis. In the case of COVID-19, we need to test the official government narrative that a new novel form of the common coronavirus is on the loose around the world, causing millions of infections and deaths, and necessitating such unprecedented draconian mitigation measures such as masks, social distancing, intense sanitization, new DNA-altering vaccines, and economy-destroying lockdowns to combat this new Martian-like threat. In contrast, we also need to test our own hypothesis that runs 100% counter to that narrative. Mark 4.9 provides us with some good advice. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So I ask you to listen now. My multi-step hypothesis goes something like this. The entire COVID-19 event is a pre-planned and deliberate attempt by a worldwide cabal of technocratic elites who have been scheming a global economic collapse for several decades in order to usher in their Great Reset in alignment with Agenda 2030 and a one-world digital and fully trackable currency. Evidence of the pre-planning of this man-made catastrophe was leaked in 2010 from a Rockefeller document called Scenarios for the Future of Technology and Development, which talked about a scenario called Lockstep. In November 2019, every detail of this pandemic was rehearsed at a Gates Foundation rehearsal exercise called Event 201. Both the document and the training exercise mirror almost precisely what we are witnessing today. Repeated censorship of these documentary videos by YouTube highly suggests this knowledge is damning to the perpetrators. 2. This New World Order, as they call it, is being touted about by most of the top presidents and prime ministers around the world as a way to remake society into a better, greener economy with centralized control under a one-world government. This part is no longer theory but fact since they publicly admit to their New World Order agenda. Totalitarianism is the goal. 3. They are using the so-called pandemic to justify lockdowns and acceptance of a communist, fascist, global police surveillance state that will severely restrict your movements and ability to protest against it. 4. There is no real virus. SARS-CoV-2 is not a biological weapon from China. It was not a deliberate or accidental release of an infectious pathogen from China that escaped the lab and traveled around the world on airplanes. Nor is it a naturally occurring pathogen. In reality, it is only a piece of computer code which was merely assembled from several pieces of existing genomic sequences using computer algorithms generated from a research lab in Wuhan, China and then released to the CDC and the WHO as proof of a pathogen. Once that code fragment was released to the world and then taken at face value by global health agencies, the procedure was then developed which utilizes a sleight of hand magic test kit trick illusion, much like Copperfield's rotating stage, using the RT-PCR test to identify the presence of a very short and quite common piece of genetic code taken from unpurified nasal swabs. 
The gold standard scientific method known as Koch's postulates was not followed at any point in the process of identifying the supposed virus. The RT-PCR test merely looks for the genetic fingerprint of a virus that has not yet been scientifically proven to even exist anywhere in the world to this very day. 57 freedom of information requests to governments and agencies around the world have all come back with the same admission that no one, including the CDC, has a copy of the actual virus in their assays and no proof of its existence other than the genetic code fragment first published by China. In fact, the fragment of genetic code from the alleged viral protein fragment already exists within 199 separate genetic sequence ranges along the human genome and in the sequences within 192 other microbes already listed in the worldwide database called GenBank. The official published partial genetic sequence for COVID-19, which is 18 to 22 base pairs long out of 30,000 assumed base pairs of the viral DNA strand, represents only 0.133% of the entire genetic sequence and has an 80 to 100% identity match to 391 other possibilities of the previously sequenced genomes already cataloged in that database. Thus, if it really does exist, we have only a 1 out of 392 chance or 0.25% chance of correctly identifying it using the RT-PCR test. Thus, it is totally possible that 99.75% of the 98 million positive cases reported are false positives, which means at best only 245,000 cases are true positives, assuming the virus even exists. 5. The excessive testing of asymptomatic people is being used to create cases that then justify mitigation measures such as lockdowns, masks, and social distancing. Masking bylaws are merely symbolic and are used to psychologically signal to people that everyone around is possibly infectious and dangerous and that we need to remain fearful and distant to keep others safe. This keeps large groups of people from easily sharing this type of information and figuring out the scam too early. It is also conditioning us to stay apart so that the new 5G wireless network will be able to track everyone in a crowd more accurately. Six feet is the minimum required distance for that function to work. 6. Businesses are really being closed to force them into bankruptcy so as to consolidate control of the means of production and distribution into the hands of a few mega corporations like Amazon and Walmart that will then ration scarce resources such as food and energy only to approved customers. Family farms are to be bankrupted by oppressive carbon taxes and then acquired for pennies on the dollar by these mega corporations. 7. Financial bailouts and loans are being offered to indebt small business owners further and to keep the public calm and submissive while the crisis is managed by politicians. The end game is debt forgiveness in exchange for the forfeiture of all private property and income forever, so long as you submit to the vaccine. Otherwise, theft of your property and permanent quarantine awaits you. 8. The vaccine is part of a wider worldwide depopulation and sterilization agenda designed to maintain a worldwide population under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. This New World Order goal was immortalized in granite on the Georgia Guidestones on March 22, 1980. This first commandment of the New World Order plan is to eliminate 7.3 billion people from this planet and the mRNA vaccine will contain the self-replicating nanobot technology within the hydrogel transfection microneedle delivery system that will begin the irreversible process of altering your genetic code at the DNA level 
using reverse transcription messenger RNA vaccines. These vaccines, or medical devices more accurately, have been in the design and planning stage since at least 2003, not for just one year as we are being told. Trump's Operation Warp Speed is designed to inject everyone in America as fast as possible before you all figure this out. 9. The testing swabs and the vaccines will or likely already do contain nanoparticle-sized magnetic beacons that will be attenuated by the new 5G Wi-Fi system, which will allow for two-way communication and thus manipulation by the state. Your every move and bodily functions will be trackable by the Internet of Things and the cryptocurrency aspect of these injected nanobots will allow for a Chinese-style social credit system that will reward good behavior and punish unapproved behavior. Your body will be signaled by the 5G network to manufacture vaccines on demand using bioavailable nutrients from your food and body chemistry. The embedded microchips, part of a grander transhumanist plan known as ID2020, will be used to restrict your access to unapproved areas through an immunity passport. In Canada, Trudeau has called this the Canada Health Pass, which essentially means you will not be able to travel, work, shop, worship, or go to any public space without taking this vaccine or obeying their orders. The real purpose of the six-foot social distancing mantra is to condition you to stay apart from others so the network will be able to pick you up in a crowd and monitor your every move. And finally, 10. The working from home agenda is being used to effectively bankrupt and shutter thousands of office towers, collapse the worldwide economy, and thus the real estate-backed public and private pension funds, and allow the AI system to monitor your communications and work processes without your knowledge or consent. The evidence I have gathered to form my hypothesis truly is Orwell's 1984 on technocratic steroids. The Matrix movie has suddenly become very real. So, like any hypothesis, we now need to test both viewpoints and look for evidence that supports or refutes the two positions. So let's begin to examine the two hypotheses put forward to see which one is more plausible, the official government narrative or mine. Let's start by examining the official government thesis that there is a new novel coronavirus wreaking havoc on the world. First, what does the term novel really mean? Novel means new, as in never before seen. Officially, COVID researchers claim that the SARS-CoV-2, which they say leads to the condition called COVID-19, is unique and never before seen, which makes it untreatable without a preventative vaccine, since our immune systems have never had to deal with it before, or so the story goes. But coronaviruses have been known about since the 1960s. There are a very common class of viruses that are believed to be the underlying cause of, or at least associated with, the common cold and the seasonal flu which the vast majority of the 1 billion yearly infections are fought off by the vast majority of people within a week and with no lasting effects. In 2017, a very severe flu season, about 970,000 people died worldwide with flu-like symptoms, but very rarely was the flu listed as the only underlying cause. As we all know, many people experience generalized cold and flu-like symptoms nearly every winter or at least at some point in their lives. Children tend to have frequent colds and flus, which gradually diminish as their immune systems develop throughout life. 20 to 65 year olds typically have fewer bouts of such illnesses until later in retirement, and once again their immune systems tend to weaken with old age and these symptoms may return more seasonally. In 2003 there was an alleged outbreak of a closely related virus called SARS-CoV-1, 
which had a relatively high case fatality rate but which never actually reached pandemic levels worldwide and for which they never successfully developed a vaccine to fight it. Yet it naturally disappeared from view. Since then, researchers have been trying in vain to create a vaccine against coronaviruses but with disastrous results. In animal trials, the majority of test subjects died when later exposed to another round of coronavirus. This pathogenic priming caused the immune system to attack itself severely from the resulting cytokine storm. These retroviruses seem to become more dangerous when primed by an RNA-type vaccine and the test subjects almost always die after a second exposure. COVID-19 is reportedly over 80% similar to the 2003 version of the virus, making it a closely related genetic match to the SARS-CoV-1 virus. To say that this current variant is novel may be technically accurate, but immunologically speaking, it is very similar in nature to SARS-1. Currently, the reported numbers from official statistics reveal that 99.5% of all cases are characterized as having mild to no symptoms at all. As of January 15, 2021, here is the summary of the latest worldwide stats from select countries I have been following for months. Overall, the probability of dying with a COVID-19 case diagnosis is only 0.025% or 1 in 4,060. These are the odds as of January 15, 2021. Now that is about the same odds of dying while riding your bicycle. In Canada, the odds are 1 in 2,618, which equates to the odds of choking to death on a food item. And the vast majority of these deaths worldwide are in people over age 84 with two, three, four, or more serious comorbidities. In fact, on November 15, 2020, CTV revealed that nearly all of the so-called COVID deaths had occurred in long-term care centers, mostly in Ontario and Quebec. Of the 10,953 deaths at that time, only 172 occurred outside a senior's care home, which means that 98.4% of all COVID deaths in Canada took place in long-term care centers with patients who were 80 to 100 years old and with two to four other serious comorbidities. In fact, only 2.9% of Canadian deaths had no other comorbidity listed. This story was later edited and reposted to their own website absent the 25 seconds of video that revealed that embarrassing telling statistic, which begs the question why? Why hide the truth retroactively from the public? Answer, because once people realize that natural deaths are being tagged as COVID without evidence that it was the underlying cause, then people would no longer believe the narrative. Many reports have since surfaced from whistleblowers that even patients who have died while in hospice have been tested during autopsy and determined to have a positive result using the RT-PCR test. These patients were already dying and yet were called a COVID-19 death. Other reports are rampant on the internet of gunshot victims, car accident victims, suicides and other deaths also being flagged as COVID deaths so long as a positive test was associated with within 28 to 60 days of death. There's a huge difference between dying of something and merely with something. If someone dies after testing positive for blue eyes, does that mean the person died of blue eyes or just with blue eyes? The answer is obvious. The statistical and whistleblower evidence is mounting that a large proportion of supposed deaths of COVID-19 are actually normal deaths that are being flagged as COVID-19. Why would that be? Early on in my research, I came across an interview on Fox News with a prominent senator and doctor from Minnesota, Dr. Scott Jensen, 
who reported that hospitals were being reimbursed $13,000 for each COVID-19 admission and another $39,000 for each patient put on a ventilator. This seems to be a massive financial incentive to misclassify or overstate cases and make sure everyone gets tested. Traditionally in the medical field, a doctor will assess a patient with questions and a physical exam and then make a diagnosis. Sometimes laboratory confirmation tests are ordered to verify a suspected illness. Never before in history have we been testing patients and letting the result lead the diagnosis, yet the CDC's own mandate suggests that it would be appropriate to call a case COVID-19 if it was merely suspected to be the cause of an illness or if a test result suggests so. This is upside-down science and flies in the face of standard operating procedures. Yet, here we are. I crunched some numbers regarding the financial fraud aspect of this event. Bill Gates and The Who insist that we can't get back to normal until everyone has been tested and vaccinated against COVID-19. Taking them at their word, let's do some math. The COVID test kit, the laboratory analysis, and the test administrator wages bring the cost to an average of $180 US for each test performed. The coming quick tests will have a price tag as low as about $5, which will be used for weekly or even daily use. The vaccine dose likewise costs about $150, but may come down to about $50 in all, which is the figure I will use. We have 7.8 billion people on Earth assuming only 50% of them get tested just once a year with the full PCR current test, that amounts to $702 billion. Once the weekly antigen quick tests are available, that will be required at all public spaces, offices and airlines, the annual global cost to test 80% of the population will be $1.6 trillion per year. Then add in two doses of vaccine every six months, for those same 80%, that adds another $1.3 trillion. Thus, Big Pharma stands to generate $3.6 trillion in annual fees selling tests and vaccines to the public to stop the spread of a yet-to-be-proven-to-exist virus. Is that enough of a financial incentive to exaggerate, distort, or outright lie to the world in order to achieve your full agenda? If you are a mainstream media broadcaster reporting the news and 70% of your funding comes from Big Pharma, would you expect an advertising windfall in the future in return for your propaganda messaging? And if you're a gullible or a corrupt politician who has promised fame and fortune, a seat at the table, plus money for your city to rebuild with green infrastructure if you subject your people to this agenda, while they receive only a guaranteed income benefit of $2,000 a month, would you be tempted to betray the Constitution and play along? Let's talk about masks. When this whole lockdown agenda was being considered last winter, the CDC and Anthony Fauci recommended that infected people self-isolate at home. Also, that there was no need for the general public to wear masks and that we should save those for frontline workers. In all of human history, we have been quarantining the sick and keeping them away from healthy people. In a genuine pandemic, why would you send sick people back to their homes to risk infecting the rest of the household? That strategy only makes sense if your goal was to really spread the disease rather than to mitigate it. In the late spring of 2020, once lockdowns should have been effectively stopping the virus within 21 to 30 days, we were told in the early summer as things opened back up that masks were now mandatory. These orders came once the natural flu season had already waned and the curve showed a dramatic decline in cases and deaths. We had also been distancing and sanitizing like crazy, so why should the masks have been needed in the summer? To answer that, we need to discuss the masks in more detail. 
The alleged to exist virus measures 100 nanometers in diameter. That is 100 billionths of a meter. It would take 1,000 particles stacked end to end to equal the thickness of a sheet of paper. Now the pores in the blue medical mask that everyone is walking around with are 29,700 nanometers in diameter or about 297 times larger than the supposed virus. That means that 297 viral fragments could squeeze right through the mask side by side without touching the mask fibers. The side of the box even reads as follows. Warning, this product is an ear loop mask. This product is not a respirator and will not provide any protection against COVID-19, coronavirus, or other viruses or contaminants. Wearing an ear loop mask does not reduce the risk of contracting any disease or infection. User is solely responsible for the selection of appropriate personal protective equipment for the setting and application. Change immediately if contaminated. So, expecting an ear loop mask to stop a virus is like trying to stop a swarm of mosquitoes with a chain link fence. It just can't happen. On our website homepage and in the mask section, there's a short video demo titled Doctor Demonstrates Why Face Masks Do Not and Will Not Stop Community Spread of COVID. Dr. Ted Knoll, an anesthesiologist with 36 years of experience, recently uploaded a little inconvenient video contrasting the narrative that face masks protect or even mitigate community spread. He used a vape smoking device, inhaled the smoke, which is 1.5 to 1.7 times larger than a virus, applied several types of masks, and then exhaled through the various masks. In every case, the smoke passed right through the mask and was ejected out the front and sides of the mask like a spewing volcano. If the goal is to stop the release of a virus that might be in water droplets, then the masks fail miserably. In reality, they may aerosolize the droplets into smaller particles that stay aloft in the air for longer than they would without a mask. Again, this strategy is flawed unless the real goal is to actually spread the viral fragments in enclosed spaces. At the top of the homepage, there is a featured video with Dell Bigtree and two occupational health and safety experts. In the video, Dell demonstrates his son wearing various types of masks and he uses a carbon dioxide detector to show how fast CO2 levels rise when you wear a mask. Within 20 seconds, the CO2 levels increase from 800 parts per million to over 10,000 parts per million which Occupational Safety and Health Association Standards, or OSHA, advises as a dangerous workplace environment for workers to be in without a respirator. Thus, every employer is at risk of damaging their employees' health by mandating masks. In summary, several health effects occur when somebody wears one of these masks. First, oxygen flow is restricted, which can lead to a condition known as hypoxia or oxygen starvation. Second, carbon dioxide levels rise dramatically, creating an unsafe work environment, leading to an elevated carbon dioxide level in the blood, which has been proven to suppress the immune system and acidify the body. Third, as we breathe out, moisture and bacteria accumulate on the inside surface of the mask, which, when cultured in a petri dish, shows massive bacterial growth, which is provably damaging to the lungs and facial area because the bacteria will begin to multiply and breed, leading to possible infections or even pneumonia. And finally, the psychological effect of having to wear a mask long-term cannot be understated. Stress levels rise and cortisol levels increase, which are quite damaging to the heart muscle. The conclusion of the video is that every employee must be medically cleared to wear a mask safely or the employer is subject to personal injury claim lawsuits and OSHA workplace violations. We have another expert witness from Canada who has severe criticisms of the government's mitigation attempts on this matter. On November 13, 2020, the Edmonton City 
Council subcommittee in charge of gathering public feedback on extending the city's mask bylaw heard from one very special caller. Dr. Roger Hodkinson is the former chairman of the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons Committee in Ottawa, is CEO of a large private medical laboratory in Edmonton, Alberta, and is chairman of a medical biotechnology company in North Carolina selling the COVID-19 test. In his five-minute speech to the chamber, he had these very stern words to say. There is utterly unfounded public hysteria driven by the media and politicians. This is the biggest hoax ever perpetrated on an unsuspecting public. There is absolutely nothing that can be done to contain this virus. This is nothing more than a bad flu season. There is no action needed. Masks are utterly useless. There is no evidence whatsoever they are even effective. It is utterly ridiculous seeing these unfortunate, uneducated people walking around like lemmings obeying without any evidence. Social distancing is also useless. Positive testing results do not indicate clinical infection. It is simply driving public hysteria and all testing should stop immediately. Using the province's own statistics, the risk of death under 65 is 1 in 300,000. The scale of the response you are undertaking is utterly ridiculous. All kinds of business closures, suicides. You're being led down the garden path by the chief medical officer of this province. It's politics playing medicine, that's a very dangerous game. You can hear his entire testimony and view a lengthy follow-up interview at the top of the homepage at cv19news.ca. In the masks area, also download the 12-page summary PDF article from Dr. Sherry Tenpenny that lists 45 peer-reviewed studies showing that masks are neither safe nor effective for the general public and should not be worn outside the medical environment. So this again begs the question, why should we use an unscientific mitigation step that not only cannot stop a virus, but can provably lead to damage to the wearer? Again, we must conclude that the goal is to actually cause illness rather than prevent it. This only makes sense if you understand the hidden agenda. With that said, what is the true agenda? Well, here's the first piece of evidence. On home page two of the website, you will find an article titled, Wow, the Rockefeller Foundation also predicted it would happen. Way back in 2014, investigative journalist Harry Vox described the elite's plan for the future based on a leaked document from the Rockefeller Foundation called Scenarios for the Future of Technology and Development. It mirrors almost precisely the COVID-19 scenario playing out right now. All such false flag world events have been planned years in advance and can be seen in the published papers of the global elites and the draconian laws they pass along the way. You can take it with a grain of salt or go back to sleep, or you can realize that the future is easily predictable just by opening your eyes and paying attention. And turn off your mainstream television, since it uses channels to program your worldview based on fabricated lies, distortions, and reality-bending propaganda. Now, the scenario in question is the first one, titled Lockstep a world of tighter top-down control and more authoritarian leadership with limited innovation and growing citizen pushback. In it, it describes the spread of a virus that shuttered the world economy for years. The pandemic that the world had been anticipating for years finally hit. Unlike 2009's H1N1, this new influenza strain originating from wild geese was extremely viral and deadly. Even the most pandemic-prepared nations were quickly overwhelmed when the virus streaked around the world, infecting nearly 20% of the global population and killing 8 million in just 7 months, the majority of them healthy young adults. 
pandemic also had a deadly effect on economies. International mobility of both people and goods screeched to a halt, debilitating industries like tourism and breaking global supply chains. Even locally, normally bustling shops and office buildings sat empty for months, devoid of both employees and customers. The pandemic blanketed the planet. Through disproportionate numbers died in Africa, Southeast Asia, and Central America, where the virus spread like wildfire in the absence of official containment protocols. But even in developed countries, containment was a challenge. The United States' initial policy of strongly discouraging citizens from flying proved deadly in its leniency, accelerating the spread of the virus not just within the U.S. but across borders. However, a few countries did fare better, China in particular. The Chinese government's quick imposition and enforcement of mandatory quarantine for all citizens, as well as its instant and near-hermetic sealing off of all borders, saved millions of lives, stopping the spread of the virus far earlier than in other countries and enabling a swifter post-pandemic recovery. China's government was not the only one that took extreme measures to protect its citizens from risk and exposure. During the pandemic, national leaders around the world flexed their authority and imposed airtight rules and restrictions, from the mandatory wearing of face masks to body, body temperature checks at the entries to communal spaces like train stations and supermarkets. Even after the pandemic faded, this more authoritarian control and oversight of citizens and their activities stuck and even intensified. In order to protect themselves from the spread of increasingly global problems, from pandemics and transnational terrorism to environmental crises and rising poverty, leaders around the world took a firmer grip on power. At first, the notion of a more controlled world gained wide acceptance and approval. Citizens willingly gave up some of their sovereignty and their privacy to more paternalistic states in exchange for greater safety and stability. Citizens were more tolerant and even eager for top-down direction and oversight, and national leaders had more latitude to impose order in the ways they saw fit. In developed countries, this heightened oversight took many forms. Biometric IDs for all citizens, for example, and tighter regulation of key industries whose stability was deemed vital to national interests. In many developed countries, enforced cooperation with a suite of new regulations and agreements slowly but steadily restored both order and, importantly, economic growth. Technological innovation in lockstep is largely driven by government and is focused on issues of national security and health and safety. Most technological improvements are created by and for developed countries, shaped by government's dual desire to control and to monitor their citizens. Technology trends and applications we might see Scanners using advanced functional magnetic resonance imaging technology became the norm at airports and other public areas to protect abnormal behavior that may indicate antisocial intent. In the aftermath of pandemic scares, smarter packaging for food and beverages is applied first by big companies and producers in a business-to-business -business environment and then adapted for individual products and consumers. New diagnostics are developed to detect communicable diseases. The application of health screening also changes Screening becomes a prerequisite for release from a hospital or prison, successfully slowing the spread of many diseases. Telepresence technologies respond to the demand for less expensive, lower bandwidth, sophisticated communication systems for populations whose travel is restricted. This would probably be the 5G network they're talking about. Driven by protectionism and national security concerns, nations create their own independent, regionally defined IT networks, mimicking China's firewalls. Governments will have varying degrees of success in policing internet traffic, but these efforts nevertheless fracture the world wide web. 
Now, after hearing that, you would think it was to be written a few years from now talking retrospectively about today, wouldn't you? But remember, that scenario was planned in 2010. How can anyone not see how closely this matches the reality script for today rather than a war game scenario from a think tank a decade ago? Our politicians are taking their marching orders from the New World Order and most probably don't even realize that they are mere pawns on the grand chessboard of the elites playing out a scenario 10 years or more in the making. For those who think this is just a conspiracy theory, David Rockefeller wrote in his memoirs, quote, Some even believe we are part of a secret cabal working against the best interests of the United States, characterizing my family and me as internationalists and of conspiring with others around the world to build a more integrated global, political and economic structure. One world, if you will. If that's the charge, I stand guilty and I am proud of it. Alright, so the second piece of evidence Who's heard of Event 201? In November 2019, just six weeks before the COVID-19 event began for real in Wuhan, China, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, the World Economic Forum and Johns Hopkins University conducted a multi-hour global pandemic training exercise that envisioned the exact COVID-19 scenario we are experiencing today, right down to the release of the coronavirus in Wuhan, where it all started the following month. We talked about lockdowns, social distancing, face masks, sanitization, shuttered businesses, financial bailouts, social media censorship, the rise of conspiracy theories that reject the official narrative, how to handle fake news, mandatory vaccines, quarantine camps, food shortages, supply chain breakdowns, outbreaks in meat and dairy processing plants, travel restrictions, and other closely related responses we are actually seeing now. Do you believe in coincidences? final piece of evidence. And that brings me to the final piece of pre-planning evidence from Canada. On October 6, 2020, an insider cabinet member from the Liberal Party of Canada apparently leaked a letter to someone outside of the internal federal planning committee who then forwarded to Dr. Rashid Buttar, who is highly recognized in the U.S. as one of the top 50 doctors in the country for integrative health. He produced a short video where he read off this very disturbing letter which I have posted on the homepage in an article titled Government of Canada Liberal Insider Blows the Whistle on COVID-19 and COVID-21 Agenda. The transcript reads as follows. Dear, the name is redacted, I want to provide you some very important information. I'm a committee member within the Liberal Party of Canada. I sit within several community groups, but the information I am providing is originating from the Strategic Planning Committee, which is steered by the Prime Minister's office. I need to start off by saying that I am not happy doing this, but I have to as a Canadian, more importantly as a parent who wants a better future not only for my children, but for other children as well. The other reason I am doing this is because roughly 30% of the committee members are not pleased with the direction this will take Canada, but our opinions have been ignored and they plan on moving forward toward their goals. They also have made it very clear that nothing will stop the planned outcomes. The roadmap and aim was set up by the PMO and is as follows. Phase in secondary lockdown restrictions on a rolling basis starting with major metropolitan areas first and expanding outward expected by November 2020. Rush the acquisition of or construction of isolation facilities across every province and territory expected by December 2020, for example concentration camps. Daily new cases of COVID-19 will surge beyond capacity of testing, including increases in COVID-related deaths following the same growth curves expected by the end of November 2020. 
complete and total secondary lockdown much stricter than the first and second rolling phase restrictions expected by end of 2020, early January 21. Interesting that they already know that there's going to surge, right? Why? Because they know that assuming that there's a real virus out there, the testing is already predetermined. They're basically amplifying the RT-PCR test to the point that every human being will test positive if that's what they want. That's what their goal is. All right, reform and expansion of the unemployment program to be transitioned into the universal basic income program expected by quarter one of 2021. Projected COVID-19 mutation and or co-infection with secondary virus referred to as COVID-21, leading to a third wave with much higher mortality rate and higher rate of infection expected by February of 21. Daily new cases of COVID-21 hospitalizations and COVID-19 and COVID-21 related deaths will exceed medical facility capacities expected by Q1 and Q2 of 2021. Enhanced lockdown restrictions referred to as third lockdown will be implemented. Full travel restrictions will be imposed including inter-province and inter-city expected by second quarter of 21. Transitioning of individuals into the universal basic income program expected mid-quarter 2 of 2021. Projected supply chain breakdowns and inventory storage, large economic instability, all expected the late second quarter of 2021. And finally, deployment of military personnel into major metropolitan areas as well as all major roadways to establish travel checkpoints, restrict travel and movement, provide logistical support to the area expected by the third quarter of 2021. Now remember, this was October 6th that this was released of 2020. And we're only in January of 2021 at the time of this. All right, along with that provided roadmap, the Strategic Planning Committee was asked to design an effective way of transitioning Canadians to meet an unprecedented economic endeavor, which basically means a collapse, one that would change the face of Canada and forever alter the lives of Canadians. What we are told was that in order to offset what was essentially an economic collapse on an international scale, that the federal government was going to offer Canadians a total debt relief. The federal government will offer to eliminate all personal debts, all mortgages, all loans, all credit cards, etc., which all funding will be provided to Canada by the IMF under what will become known as the World Debt Reset Program. In exchange for acceptance of this total debt forgiveness, the individual would forfeit ownership of any and all property and assets forever. The individual would also have to agree to partake in the COVID-19 and COVID-21 vaccination schedule, which will provide the individual with unrestricted travel and unrestricted living, even under a full lockdown. I.e., if you agree, you can go do anything you're going to do as long as you partake in the COVID-19 and 21 vaccination schedule, regardless of the lockdown. Magically take this vaccine and boom, you don't have to social distance, you don't have to wear a mask anymore because you've already got your vaccines. This unrestricted living under even a full lockdown through the use of photo identification is referred to as Canada's Health Pass. Committee members asked who would become the owner of the forfeited property and assets in that scenario and what would happen to lenders or financial institutions. We were simply told the World Debt Reset Program will handle all the details. I.e. when they were asked what happens to the property, what happens to the banks, don't worry about it, we're going to take care of it. That's what they were told. Now, several community members also questioned what would happen to individuals if they refused to participate in the World Debt Reset Program for the health pass or the vaccination schedule. The answer we got was very troubling. 
Essentially, we were told it was our duty to make sure we came up with the plan, meaning it was their duty to make up the plan to ensure that would never happen. We were told it was the individual's best interest to participate. When several committee members pushed relentlessly to get an answer, we were told that those who refused would first live under the lockdown restrictions indefinitely, and that over a short period of time, as more Canadians transitioned into the debt forgiveness program, the ones who refused to participate would be deemed a public safety risk and would be relocated into isolation facilities. Once in those facilities, they would be given two options, participate in the debt forgiveness program and be released, or stay indefinitely in the isolation facility under classification of a serious public health risk and have all your assets seized. As you can imagine, after hearing all this, it turned into quite the heated discussion and escalated beyond anything I've ever witnessed before. In the end, it was implied by the PMO that the whole agenda will move forward no matter who agrees with it or not. It won't just be Canada, but in fact, all nations will have similar roadmaps and agendas. And we need to take advantage of the situation before us to promote change on a grander scale for the betterment of everyone. The members who are opposed and the ones who brought up key issues that would, be, that would arise from such a thing were completely ignored. Our opinions and concerns were ignored. We simply were told just to do it. All I know is I don't like it and I think it will take Canadians in a dark future. So my questions are many. How come only 30% of the committee members were upset about this plan? What about the rest of them? What the hell kind of evil government do we have in Canada anyway? Am I the only one really upset about this? So this brings me to the final and most critical topic of the day, the RT-PCR test. Earlier in part four of my hypothesis, you heard me state that there is no real virus. In reality, it is only a piece of computer code which was merely assembled from several pieces of existing genomic sequences using computer algorithms. This is quite the claim to make, but where is the evidence you should ask? Well, here it is. I came across a November 17th article titled COVID-19 Evidence of Global Fraud by Off Guardian. The opening few paragraphs read as follows. COVID-19 and the subsequent governmental responses appear to be part of an international conspiracy to commit fraud. It seems there is no evidence that a virus called SARS-CoV-2 causes a disease called COVID-19. Sometimes you have to go with your gut. I'm not an expert in genetics and as ever stand to be corrected. However, my attention was drawn to some research published by the Spanish medical journal De Salud Discovery. Their advisory board of eminently qualified physicians and scientists leads further credibility to their research. Their claim is astounding. They say the genetic primers and probes used in RT-PCR tests to identify SARS-CoV-2 do not target anything specific. I followed the search techniques outlined in this English translation of their report and can corroborate the accuracy of their claims about the nucleotide sequences listed in the World Health Organization's protocols. You can do the same. By the way, so did I to verify their claims and it's true what they found. Desalud discoveries state that there are no tests capable of identifying SARS-CoV-2. Consequently, all claims about the alleged impact of COVID-19 on population health are groundless. The entire official COVID-19 narrative is a deception. Ostensibly, there is no scientific foundation for any part of it. Now, the remainder of the article is quite technical, but it proves the case in my mind. Let me explain how the test works. Essentially, the test works by amplifying, or more accurately, doubling the original number of presumed viral particles in a specialized replicator that effectively takes one particle from a nasal swab sample 
And using a chemical annealing process, it makes hundreds of billions or trillions of copies of the same genetic bundle of molecules. To illustrate, I want you to imagine you have a few red Lego building blocks. You are told to go back to your laboratory and run these blocks through your duplication machine with the aid of another single yellow brick called a primer, then come back to me with the final assembled structure which no one has ever seen or proven to exist but is assumed to be a medieval castle. What you are not told is what the original castle supposedly looks like or if it has ever even existed. You are given one man-made primer, the yellow building block, and you are allowed to make multiple copies of your red blocks using only your primer and the other building blocks from your sample. Now, if you give this same task to thousands of different labs around the world, it is extremely unlikely that any of them would come back with the exact same design of a castle, right? In biology, these variants would be called mutations. If you take one copy of the alleged sequence of viral fragments and run it through the duplication machine just once, you will end up with two copies after completing one cycle, which they call a cycle threshold or CT for short. If you then run these two fragment copies back through the copy machine a second time, you'll end up with four particles. When you do this procedure 10 times, you have 1024 copies of the same thing. If you run 20 cycles, you will have 1 million copies, and if you run 30 cycles, you will have 1 billion copies. Dr. Anthony Fauci states that if you run the RT-PCR test up to 35 cycles, which is about 34 billion copies, you cannot culture anything from the original sample, which means you cannot prove infectivity. In fact, 97 to 100% of the total tests are likely false positives. However, in Canada, the US and other labs around the world, we are running this test at 40 cycle amplifications, which means we have taken one non-specific viral fragment of genetic code and made 1.1 trillion copies of the same thing. Now, if you had 1.1 trillion copies of the same red Lego building blocks and no original design to guide you or match it against, is there any way you could come up with the original castle from scratch? Here's another analogy that the police will appreciate. In forensics, if they collect a partial fingerprint from a crime scene, they run it through a database search tool called APHIS, or Automated Fingerprint Identification System. It then searches through millions of fingerprint signatures looking for probable matches of swirls, loops, and ridges. If a potential match is found, it is then examined more closely by a human to interpret the results. The process requires that an existing record already exists in the database to compare the sample to. But what if I asked the detective to go back to his lab with a suspect fingerprint, with the assistance of another partial fingerprint sample that I supply, and ask him to reconstruct the original fingerprint by making numerous copies of the suspect print using the sample he has, the other partial print that I supplied, and a computer software program to jumble up the prints until he found a match in APHIS? Do you think for one second that this evidence would hold up in court? Well, of course not. But this is what they want us to believe is possible using the RT-PCR test that the inventor of it, Kerry Mullis, who won the Nobel Prize in 1993 for his invention, insisted that we cannot use this test to diagnose disease or identify a virus, because it cannot identify a virus. Then why are we using it to claim a case of COVID-19? The shocking discovery in this article is that the genetic sequence that was released into the GenBank database by China was supposedly unique to the coronavirus infection, and this they term novel or new. Yet, as I mentioned in my hypothesis, that same sequence of the genetic code exists in 391 other known strands of DNA in all of nature, 
including in human chromosome 8 of the human genome. So what this means is that the test is actually identifying part of your own genetic sequence which proves nothing more than you are either a human being or a microbe. The test proves nothing and virtually all politicians, medical officials and healthcare frontline workers have no clue that they have been bamboozled. The CDC and 57 other governments and other agencies around the world have so far admitted in freedom of information request responses that they don't have a copy of the actual virus to compare against. They are all relying on China's version of the truth and that they isolated the damn virus without providing actual evidence. This is either criminal negligence or a deliberate coordinated lockstep effort to pull off the largest medical and financial scam of all time. I say the latter. To date, if we've done 1.2 billion COVID tests worldwide and we only have a 1 in 392 chance of correctly identifying a SARS-CoV-2 virus, if it even does exist, and that that string of genetic code is also used elsewhere in biology, then only 1 in 400, or 0.25% of all positive tests are likely to correctly identify a SARS-CoV-2 infection. Since they claim that we have nearly 100 million positive cases worldwide, that means only 250,000 are potentially true positives. With those kinds of numbers, all lockdown measures worldwide are no longer justified since the test is not actually testing for a virus, which itself has not yet been proven to exist using the scientific method known as Koch's postulates. Uh-oh, I just threw a new term at you. So what exactly is Koch's postulates, you ask? It is the gold standard scientific method of testing taught to every medical student as part of their germ theory studies. It requires that first, one must be able to isolate, purify, and identify a suspect microorganism from a sick person that is always present in those showing disease symptoms. Second, it must be able to cause the same symptoms and sickness 100% of the time in a healthy uninfected subject when exposed to that same isolated microorganism. And third, it must be able to be re-isolated, re-purified, and re-identified from the newly sickened subject and then compared identically to the original suspect microorganism. Only then can one assign causation and not mere association or correlation. This crucial step has not been done with any microorganism currently blamed for COVID-19. Dr. Andrew Kaufman was one of the lead doctors back in early 2020 to uncover something incredible which got me started on this entire mission to wake people up to the truth behind this pandemic and how it was being done. He revealed that the computer-enhanced, scary-looking, red-spiked protein coronavirus we have all seen on TV has exactly the same size, dimensions, and apparent characteristics as something else common in our immune system called an exosome. Exosomes are an exciting new field of study in biology and are changing the way scientists think about and understand the immune system. Exosomes are always present in everyone and in varying amounts depending on one's overall level of health. They are situated within the very cells of our bodies and can be stimulated to emerge whenever we are undergoing stress, a cellular detoxification process or viral cleansing, for example, when we are sick of something like a cold, flu, cancer, diabetes, etc., or if we are being bombarded by an external insult such as an excessive EMF or other radiation. Think Fukushima, Chernobyl, high power transmission lines, microwaves, cellular broadcast towers, or 4G and 5G. Exosomes serve as messengers to the rest of the immune system to summon other helpers to the scene, like T-cells, macrophages, lymphocytes, white blood cells, etc. 
These collectively form the cleanup crews or janitors of the body, which, if they get overwhelmed by the poisonous cellular excretions, as can occur during radiation or chemotherapy treatment, are then aided by viruses which are merely protein fragments wrapped in a lipid layer of fat. Viruses are manufactured within the body as an immune system response and act as a soap or a solvent coming to the rescue to encapsulate the toxins and move them to the lymphatic system for eventual elimination in feces, urine, sweat, and respiration. Think about why you add laundry detergent to the wash machine. The soap surrounds the dirt in the clothes by encapsulating the dirt with a slippery layer of animal or vegetable fat, which helps it to slide out of the wash during the rinse cycle. The reason we get a fever when we are sick is to help speed up the circulation to allow these non-living, immobile, non-self-propelled viral soaps or solvents to slide the encapsulated toxins to the lymphatic system for later elimination. Our bodies have an estimated 60 trillion cells, 30 million microbes, spores and bacteria, and 385 trillion viruses of over 300,000 different varieties. Each virus is signaled on demand and encoded to work specifically with only certain parts of specific cells without compromising the integrity of the entire cell. Viruses that are coded to function with lung cells will not be found in the rest of the body. Viruses are not infectious, they are not alive, they do not self-replicate and are not transmittable interspecies or cross-species and therefore cannot cause disease in other people unless injected which would then stimulate a similar immune response designed to cleanse that body of the injected invader. Viruses are helpers of the immune system and are not typically harmful. This is obviously contrary to what we have been told based on the standard concept but incorrect adaptation of Louis Pasteur's germ theory of infection. A viral detoxification is actually an outfection and not an infection. Understanding this simple concept is the key to understanding COVID-19. Surprisingly, no peer-reviewed research study has ever conclusively proven the existence of a contagious, naturally occurring infectious virus. To do so, one would need to follow Koch's postulates, which SARS-CoV-2 has not. There is not yet one published study that scientifically validates the existence of the COVID-19 pathogen. The best way to comprehend all of this is by way of analogy. Let's say that you came across a house fire in the neighborhood and you saw 10 firemen standing around looking at the fire. Would you assume that they were the cause of the fire? No, of course not. That would be absurd. Based on your common sense understanding of firemen, you would assume that they were there to put out the fire and not start the fire, right? Exosomes are like firefighters. They are associated with the fire, but they did not cause the fire, which is known as a cytokine storm in virology. They are there to put it out, whatever the underlying cause. Just because exosomes are present at the scene of the fire or illness, that does not mean that they are the cause of the fire. For example, flu-like symptoms allegedly caused by a coronavirus infection. Since such an assumed to exist viral pathogen has never been isolated, purified, and identified as a causative agent of the condition they are now calling COVID-19. Yet that scary looking computer enhanced red spiked coronavirus shown all over the media looks exactly like an exosome in all respects. The RT-PCR test currently being used only tests for an RNA protein fragment that is associated with dozens or hundreds of possible causes. In fact, the Vera monkey cell cultures used to incubate materials taken from nasal swabs and bodily tissues, when combined with the addition of antibiotics to those cultures, 
stimulates a tremendous number of exosomes which causes the test to show positive by default, depending on the number of amplifications or copies of the RNA made during the test procedure. Once the recommended 30 to 45 copies or amplifications are made to multiply the material enough to be studied, the test can have an 80 to 100% false positive rate. Under a microscope, the particle they tell us is the coronavirus is identical to an exosome. James Hildreth, formerly of Johns Hopkins, says that the virus is fully an exosome in every sense of the word. By merely controlling the number of amplifications of the RT-PCR test, they can make the pandemic appear to grow or to disappear with the simple test kit trick while they push the police state global domination agenda forward. It is pure evil genius in its deception, and this sleight of hand cunningness has led the world to fear a phantom disease that has not even been scientifically proven to exist. But what are people dying of? People are dying daily of whatever underlying comorbidity diseases they had to begin with. Every year over 58 million people die worldwide from all causes. 160,000 die globally every day. To reclassify a few of these as having died with or of COVID-19 is a relatively simple deception to pull off to sell the world on a lie using the uninformed and medically illiterate population who easily trust what the medical community tells them without any evidence being offered and without researching this information for themselves. Even the majority of frontline workers have no clue that this is what goes on behind the scenes with all these tests. I've spoken to several inside lab workers who can validate what I've just told you, but who won't go on record yet until enough insiders are willing to step forward as a group. And they are working on that now. On our website homepage at cv19news.ca, there are several slides from a, a post featuring Dr. Andrew Kaufman. It was his very video that inspired me to develop this entire news service when I realized the depth of the deception being foisted on the world. Please take the time to study that article. It will awaken even the most stubborn cognitive dissonance afflicted person to the reality of the COVID-19 deception. So what does the CDC admit? Well, the CDC published a document dated July 13, 2020 titled CDC 2019 Novel Coronavirus 2019 NCOV Real-Time RT-PCR Diagnostic Panel. Buried deep in the document on page 39 in a section titled Performance Characteristics, we have this. Since no quantified virus isolates of the 2019 NCOV are currently available, assays, diagnostic tests, designed for detection of the 2019 NCOV RNA were tested with characterized stocks of in vitro transcribed full-length RNA. The key phrase there is, since no quantified virus isolates of the 2019 NCOV are currently available. Every object that exists can be quantified, which is to say measured. The use of the term quantified in that phrase means the CDC has no measurable amount of the virus because it is unavailable. The CDC has no virus. A further tip-off is the use of the word isolates. This means no isolated virus is available. Another way to put it, no one has an isolated specimen of the COVID-19 virus. No one has isolated the COVID-19 virus, therefore no one has proved that it exists. As if this were not enough of a revelation to shock the world, the CDC goes on to say that they are presenting a diagnostic PCR test to detect the virus that hasn't been isolated, and the test is looking for RNA which is presumed to come from this virus that hasn't been proved to exist. 
And using this test, the CDC and every other public health agency in the world are counting COVID cases and deaths, and governments have instituted lockdowns and economic devastation using these case and death numbers as justification. If people believe you have the virus but it is not available, and you have the virus except it is buried within our material and hasn't been extracted and purified and isolated, these people believe the moon is made of green cheese. So there is the scam in a nutshell. Unless otherwise proven in court, the virus does not exist. So where is all this headed? The reasons for all this deception are many, but I will focus on the twofold answer. Global depopulation through the use of the vaccine. In Calgary in early October, I spoke to the crowd about the new article posted on the homepage titled The Moderna Microneedle Luciferase Hydrogel Transfection Nanoparticle COVID-19 Vaccine. You can watch my presentation there for yourself. If you read only one article on my site, make sure it is this one. Dr. Kerry Madej, a brilliant doctor from Atlanta with specific knowledge on the various technologies that will be used in these new RNA vaccines, paints a very grim picture and provides a very stern warning to the world not to take this injection. It is composed of three technologies that currently exist, some patented by Bill Gates and the CDC, that are being combined for use in this multi-billion dollar experimental medical device they call the COVID-19 vaccine. The first technology is the microneedle vaccination patch. This medicinal patch was inspired by the viper snake fang. It is a closely knit matrix of extremely thin and sharp tiny curved needles that look like a snake tooth. They are mounted on a soft flexible patch about the size of a medium bandage. Medicines, hormones, drugs and vaccines can be inserted in the hollow needles which then get under the skin to be easily dispersed throughout the body. It is marketed as a safer and painless way to take your shot through self-administration. Amazon will send you the patch by mail and you will be required to self-inoculate before you will be allowed to leave your house. They plan on successive waves of more severe quarantines over the next five years with forced vaccination by the military if you don't cooperate. Second technology is Luciferase Enzyme Nanoparticle RNA Vaccines. This multi-billion dollar vaccine called Lucifer Ace, named after Lucifer of course, contains nanoparticle robots that will be able to self-replicate within the bloodstream and go to work on altering the DNA of healthy cells using RNA reverse transcription modification. The idea is that the vaccine will be coded to work directly with your unique DNA to alter you in such a way that you can ward off infections continually so long as you have the correct vaccine made just for you. Why do you think they want you to get tested to harvest your DNA code to prepare a personalized vaccine? This gel will also contain special metallic particles which can both send and receive Wi-Fi signals to the coming 5G system so that your bodily functions can be both monitored and manipulated using your unique IP internet protocol address on the 5G Internet of Things or IoT. On 6-6-2020, that's June the 6th, Microsoft was issued patent number WO2020060606 A1 on its bodily activated cryptocurrency that will be embedded inside your body to monitor and reward you based on your health or activity. You will be rewarded or punished based on a Chinese style social credit system for such activities as eating the GMO foods they want you to eat, taking the vaccines they mandate you take, or to grant you travel access to public spaces or parks that they authorize you to visit. Which brings us to the third part of the vaccine. And this is called Hydrogel Transfection Vaccine Delivery System. 
This vaccine will be in a moisture and temperature activated gel solution that will absorb readily into the skin, leaving a permanent mark that proves you have been vaccinated. The technology is convenient, it avoids fraud, and singles out the growing number of anti-vaxxers. Bill Gates has been deeply funding Moderna, the front runner for a COVID-19 vaccine. His ID2020 initiative is a quantum dot tattoo system that leaves a mark under the skin that can then be read by ultraviolet light and a smartphone scanner app. This hydrogel solution can also be used in spray-on sanitizing equipment installed at the main doors of airports, public buildings, shopping malls, grocery stores, anywhere else they choose to force vaccinate people without their informed consent or even their knowledge. This evil but ingenious delivery system of nanoparticle RNA vaccine is activated by sweat and body heat to cause the sprayed-on gel to be absorbed by the skin so it can begin altering your DNA using reverse transcription. If this isn't terrifying enough, I discovered two interesting connections between the testing swabs and the mask mandates relative to the vaccine. First, if COVID is really so infectious that it is spread by saliva, why do we need a 12-inch long swab up our nose to get a sample when a non-invasive spit test should suffice? First, the concentrations of genetic material are 1,000 times higher at the back of the nasal cavity than in the saliva, so it greatly increases the chance of a positive test, which is what drives the mitigation measures. The other more sinister reason is that all of these nasal test swabs may contain a magnetic microdot beacon with the hydrogel vaccine already on it. If you got the test, you have already been marked, infected, and are now traceable by the 5G system against your will. This is medical assault and a war crime. The third connection I just discovered is that the hydrogel vaccine will be applied to the inner surface of the new three-layer mask so that the warmth and moisture from your breath will heat activate the gel so that you breathe this vaccine into your lungs where it will go to work permanently altering your genetic code. This covert method of mass forced vaccination of the world eliminates the need for gaining your approval since you won't even know it is happening. This would not only be criminal assault and battery, but a war crime as prohibited in the Nuremberg Code, country-specific domestic human rights codes, and the International Human Rights Code, which all protect against forced medical procedures. Alright, time to wrap this up. There is much more evidence I can provide to prove the other aspects of my hypothesis, especially the amazing connection to the 5G network, but I've already overwhelmed you with enough information for one day. It's now up to you to investigate the website, all the research material I've put together. Basically research the facts for yourself. Don't take my word for it, but do remember that my information comes from leading researchers and experts in their fields who are being silenced and ignored by the big tech giants, the mainstream bought-off media, and the power-hungry constitution-defying governments around the world. I have collated and organized this data into one convenient website that serves all your one-stop shop for COVID-19 facts, not fiction. At this point, a lot of people ask me what can be done about this. Well, here's your call to action. First off, refuse to wear a mask anywhere. Stand up for your medical exemption rights, the Human Rights Code, the Canada Act, and the Nuremberg Code. Two, cancel your cable TV and send a letter to the CEOs of the big telecom companies like Shaw, Telus, Rogers, and Bell in Canada that you are defunding them for promoting propaganda and fake news. Three, do not consent to a COVID test. 4. Do not take the vaccine. 5. First educate and then sue every business that prevents you from shopping without a mask. 6. Boycott large box stores who are enabling this agenda. Stores like Amazon, Walmart, Home Depot, Rona, etc. 7. Only support businesses who defy lockdowns. 8. Attend every protest rally you can. There's strength in numbers.
Nine, fight every ticket you get. Overwhelm the courts with trials. Constantly reschedule each court date until they won't. This will all be thrown out as unconstitutional. 10. Ask mask wearers to remove their masks to be able to hear them. 11. Take pictures of every enabler and report them online on our enablers forum where you can publicly shame them and tell the story about what they've done to you. And 12. You can join me on the weekly Thursday night webinars at 7 p.m. to learn more and ask your questions. And if you're at one of our events, the donation box is at the front, and I always do thank people in, in advance for their support, whether they support in person or online. I'll leave you now with one more quote from Revelation 13, 16 to 18. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom, let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred, three score, and six, 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 six. Thank you for listening, and I sincerely hope this information has been useful. Please remember to share it widely, share it quickly, and get the message out to as many people as you can before all of this agenda comes to fruition. We don't have much time left. This is January 2021. And in the next six months, all hell could break loose if we don't stop this agenda right away. Thank you for your help.